Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Real Military Spouse Radio Show. Here's your host, Dave Evers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Male Military Spouse Radio Show, episode number 68. Today's topic, PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder in military spouses. There's a lot of debate on whether or not that it actually exists. I'm not sure I buy it, but then again, that's because I've been carrying on some interesting conversations with various other people. I got in the show with me right now, we've got a co-host, Jay Howe, how are you doing, Jay? Fantastic. How about you? Did I did I say your last name right this time? Finally, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get it right. It's just two syllables. Ha. Oh. Oh, okay. See, I, that's where I'm being a dumbass, I guess. I didn't get, and I got my beer ready to go um, for me. It's the late afternoon for for those in, in the stateside. It should be morning drive time. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I've been shooting for for uh, this time slot is to catch at least in, on the East Coast, it's like 9 a.m., but then over on the West Coast, it's like 7 a.m. So you can tune in, uh, listen to it while you're stuck in uh, morning traffic, and have the ability that you can call in, maybe use your Bluetooth, jump in there, and uh, give us a call. It's uh, 516-453-9167. If you go to the Facebook page, uh, call now, a button that says call now. And that should give you an opportunity, should get you right in to the show. You can do it through Skype as well, I believe. Um, there's a number of different ways. Plus, we have a chat room in there that you can use as well. So feel free to join in, jump in, have some fun with it. If all you want to do is just listen, by all means, just listen. That's, that's all that matters. We're available on iTunes. We're available on Stitcher. We're available on, of course, Blog Talk Radio. So the live stuff, I think, is only on Blog Talk Radio. So if you're listening live, you've gone through BTR. So this is good. All right, Jay, PTSD. They, there's there's some uh, a lot of questions about PTSD in the past, uh, PTSD itself. The post-traumatic stress, it's a disorder. It's not an actual, my understanding of it, because I'm a resilience trainer. Post-traumatic stress is the result of experiencing an event that is extremely uh, nerve-wracking, something that human beings shouldn't see. You know, somebody getting loud explosions with the, the fear of imminent death. Uh, things like that just stick with you for a long time. Been known forever in the military world. As long as there's been gunpowder, they've called it shell shock. But now it's called PTSD because it encompasses a number of things, uh, one of which has broken free from the PTSD realm is the traumatic brain injury, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a super concussion one that you do come back from, but the damage is done. The brain has been bruised, and it does not recover like the rest of the body does. Uh, completely different creatures. So traumatic brain injury, TBI, 
set aside from PTSD, but a lot of times they do go hand in hand. If you have TBI, you probably have PTSD. But then when it comes to spouses, kids, family members, uh, extended family, you know, mothers-in-law, fathers-in-law, anybody who has to deal with folks that are experiencing actual military experienced PTSD are finding that they're exhibiting the same symptoms. But where do you draw the line and how do you define it? Because in my opinion, or it has been my opinion, I am welcome to change it. Believe me, I, I, I want to get on board with the secondary PTSD because if it's if you can prove to me, if you can show me, preferably in writing, of course, uh, that that secondary PTSD exists, that it is real, that it is something that can be defined and can be treated and pursued, then I'll jump on board that bandwagon, happily jump on board that bandwagon. But I'm also seeing where there are people and that are are taking the having living with somebody with PTSD, but they decide they don't want to try and help that person, but instead say, "Ooh, I'm damaged too because you're damaged and you're messing with me." And I, I, I'm there's enough of me that says that a, a spouse that they have PTSD because they're married to somebody that has PTSD. I think it's far-fetched. Part of me is saying, part of me is saying, uh, institutionalize that person. Uh, Another part of me is saying, yeah, you really need to have your head examined, but not for PTSD, but for uh, uh, delusions, just being crazy, point blank, strange, because I, I don't know. So I'm going to jump off of this bandwagon for a bit, let Jay do a little bit of chatting. I think you've done some ex- some uh, research into this, haven't you, Jay? I've done some, yes. I mean, it's not extensive by far. Uh, there's a lot of medical to, to wade through and try to figure out what connects with what. Uh, there are several places to look. So the place that I've looked was at Department of Veteran Affairs and what they consider is PTSD and for the public, for the professionals, where you can find more web links and more information, their treatment for it, uh, specific providers that provide for it, uh, the assessment, how they determine what is PTSD and what is not, uh, places like that. So what I did find is that the, let me see what does DSM stands for, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, fourth edition does not consider it, uh, uh, consider secondary PTSD as part of the manual. Right. So it's not as a mental disorder within the Diagnostic Statistic Manual 4, nor is it included in the fifth edition, which is the latest edition of 2013. They do kind of go into okay. – I'm sorry, what? I said no, I'm just, just repeating 2013. Then. Right, 2013. So uh, that, that's the latest edition, the fifth edition. DSM-5 is what they're, they're called. Uh, they, they did expand in the DSM-5 – of PTSD for PTSD in children ages six years and younger. 
that's what they expanded on. They didn't include secondary PTSD. So yeah. they're recognizing that PTSD in children is a thing? It's a subtype. So it, it, it says that uh, DSM-5 introduced a preschool subtype of PTSD for children ages six years and younger. Right. So the diagnostic criteria for PTSD include a history of exposure to a traumatic event that meets specific stipulations and symptoms from each of the four symptom clusters, intrusion, avoidance, negative alterations in cognitions and mood, and alterations in arousal and reactivity. Well, that could result from bullying. That could result from uh, molestation. That could result from uh, a broken family. Uh, anything that, that where the way in which in resilience training they deal with what PTSD is and, and how it, how it uh, affects everybody that, that's, that, that gets it is that You've experienced something that is so foreign to you that your your brain starts to go and, and it says, I don't have to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to change my I'm going to, I'm going to I'm going to do flee or I'm going to do fight. Uh, the, the, the two main things that the human body does is that the flee fight or fight, fight or flight send uh, results. And as such, if you know that you're going to have events that occur to you, you can, that, that might trigger PTSD, that you can set yourself up tools to go, all right, I am going to not react to that in this manner because I know that my body will want to, and I will do it in a different direction because it is easier. I mean, if I have the tools, it's easier to do so and thus limit the amount of PTSD that, that could result. And it's effective. It's, it, it's, well, for all intents and purposes, it has proven itself in a manner of speaking for a number of cases in which they've studied it. Um, comprehensive Soldier Fitness, Family and Fitness uh, Group have been have been working with this with the Army. And with that, well, hello, Susan. How are you? Hello. Hello. Good to see you. Uh, join right into the conversation, if you will. I, I, I trust you've listened to a little bit of it. Yes. No, there I want you to finish now, what you were saying. I'm not going to interrupt you. Finish what you were saying, yes, man. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so with resilience training, you can work to prevent that. But if now, if, if the medical, or I should say the psychiatric field through the DSM-5 is recognizing kids six and younger as, as actually exhibiting and having PTSD, from what you just described, Jay, sounds to me like they're talking about domestic instead of necessarily uh, the result of mom or dad coming back from battle and thus triggering on the popcorn popper, thinking it's machine gun fire, taking cover and, and wanting to throw grenades and, and toss people in, in corners to protect them. You know, uh, um, that right. is a little bit extreme uh, result, but that is a manifestation of PTSD. And that's, if a kid sees that enough times, will the kid start exhibiting it as well? Does the kid start 
having that feeling. And that's where I was thinking we might see some focus psychiatric uh, world looking at, at it. So for, for second PTS, secondary PTSD. Uh, Susan, Susan, I, I'm glad you came in. I know you oh, too lovely. have been doing some study. You've been doing some looking up and finding out some details dealing with P- secondary PTSD. Uh, tell me about what you think. Because like I started out the show, I'm sitting on the fence on whether or not secondary PTSD even exists. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if I would call it second. Now, a lot of this is my opinion. Granted, I do have a very, very, very useless undergraduate degree in psychology um, because I never went on to the master's and doctorate, so it's really super useless, right? Um, <laughs> but, hey, at least I got something, right? And, um, sure. Yeah, so I look at, and the reason, the, I first heard the term secondary PTSD from within the special needs community, within the EFMP community. Mm-hmm. And just um, and then I heard it in regards to birth trauma. And I heard it, uh, and not necessarily birth trauma for the child, but birth trauma for the mother. Really? Uh, yes, because, because of a couple of reasons. So um, I have a, a dear friend who actually does suffer from PTSD. She was in a severe car accident and almost died. And that she just she I can't can see that. Yeah, she she just she can't drive. She cannot drive. It it just the the accident was so severe. It scared her so badly. Um, it was so traumatizing. It was so awful. That very near death experience. She just cannot drive. But then something else happened. As she was giving birth, she almost died giving birth. Even today, we still have women who almost die giving birth. I mean, as modern as medicine is, we still have those instances where women can still have and suffer from severe birth traumas. And it's not trauma to the child coming through the birthing canal. It is something has happened to us as a woman giving birth that now our life is is at stake. And but when she, plus- this, this is going to sound very gross, so I'm very sorry for how graphic this is getting ready to become. Hey, we're she chose, okay, so she chose to have a natural labor. And, and I was like, good for you, because I couldn't have done that, honey. You know, I was like, more power to you. Um, but they, you know, they're like, push, push, push. And she kept pushing, and she ended up pushing her uterus out. Oh, gosh. And the doctor just shoved it right back up in her. Like, full-fisted, shoved that uterus right back up in her, and she started to hemorrhage and was dying right there. Wow. And, yeah, and she actually had, because she felt it all, she had nothing. She was on no pain medications, no epidural. She felt all of that, every single bit of that. She heard every single thing those doctors were saying. She saw that look on her husband's face where he's sitting there looking like my wife is getting ready to die and she just gave birth to our child. This is, you know, like you could, and she said it was the most, she goes, the the car accident was one of the most traumatizing experiences of her life, but that childbirth changed her forever. She is not going to have any more children because of it. 
you know, she's not going to have any, you know, like she's having no more children. She, you know, she is actually now has health care issues because of that birth. I mean, and, and I can't blame her. I can't fault her for any of this. And she suffered from severe nightmares, sleeplessness, severe anxiety for many months afterwards. And, and it's not talked about. We just don't talk about that. We're, you know, women don't really discuss this. And it needs to be discussed because birth and a baby, I mean, come on, this is not an easy feat here. We're growing a person in our body, and it's not an exact science like everyone seems to think it is. And people still die in childbirth. Well, now that's, but it's, that's regular first stage PTSD, and I can recognize that, and I can respect the, 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 the calling it uh, PTSD, but I'm talking, my concern is the secondary PTSD, the people who just hear about somebody else's PTSD and then start exhibiting signs of PTSD. Well, That's I think that what some people are get. incredibly, yeah. Well, no, and I get that too. I mean, I thought at first I was like, "What do you mean secondary PTSD?" But I think maybe we need to redefine what PTSD is actually. So, you know, I mean, because if if you had told someone six or seven years ago that a car accident victim has PTSD, I have I have military spouse friends who would have been like, "No, no, they don't. They didn't go to battle." Hey, stop the judgment. Stop the judgment right there. You don't know what you know. You don't know what it was like to go flying through a windshield and almost hey, die. I that, mean, you know. So first of all, I think we need to stop that. That that this is a great conversation to be having. We need to stop thinking that PTSD only happens to a select group of people. That it's 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 only to certain people, firefighters, EMTs, you know, the law enforcement field, you know, the military. It's not just these guys and women who can get PTSD and are you know do have PTSD, sexual assault well, you victims, know, they, they, you know, car accidents, this. child abuse. Yeah, they talked about you know, this in MMA as well. Uh, mixed martial arts, the, the, the fact that people will actually go out there and they compete and they get hit over and they get hit over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And then they end up, you know, they're, they're slightly psycho because they, they want to fight at the drop of a hat. Well, where some people were saying, oh, that's just simple aggression, that's MMA, that's why MMA is so bad. No, it's because the guy didn't protect himself well enough and he got, he was basically rocked. He was shell-shocked. Oh, in other words, he has he has now developed PTSD. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it was voluntary or not. The fact of the matter is, is he got whooped enough times in a manner that his psyche got hurt. Um, yep. You have you have. Uh, uh, I'm certain that in the gay community, that there are. A people that are experiencing PTSD simply by the fact of being bullied. Bullied, the harassed, the threats against and, their lives. Yes. Conversation I'm taking this is, is that secondary PTSD that, that, um, and, and well, Jay knows who I'm talking about. We have a friend who has, who went off the deep end, but he went yes. off the deep end because he's just, pardon my French, he's just fucking nuts. And he was claiming he was claiming that his wife was abusing him uh, mentally, 
And she wasn't abusing him mentally. She was basically calling him to the carpet for the crazy things he was doing. Well, he claims now that he is a veteran because he was Uh. married to a military woman who was abusive. He's experiencing PTSD because he was married to a military woman who, uh, even though was considerably smaller than he is, and uh, she she just was was mean to him, and his previous life was mean to him, and that his current uh, his current uh, direction he wants to go in life uh, was denied him. Uh, most of this, if not all of it, is made up. Does he have PTSD? Does he have secondary PTSD? And I cry I cry bullshit to both. Um, I'm wondering in the military field, we do know that PTSD is easily diagnosed. And yes. most warriors do not want to be labeled uh, experiencing PTSD unless they really are. So it's not like they're going to jump on the bandwagon because it makes them sound cool. But on yeah. secondary PTSD, isn't there a whole lot of people, like military spouses, that are going, oh, my, 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 my hubby come back and he was, he's got PTSD and I just can't handle it. So I've, I've got PTSD too. Well, I think that you have to look at it in a couple of different, in a, quite a few different ways. So, Coming, having your spouse come home a completely different person, they're violent, they're not sleeping well, the stress that it puts on you, that stress, oh, yeah, that, undue, that. that undue burden, and, and now, you know, if you have, now if you are becoming a caregiver, there's a, the Easter Seals and the Caregivers Alliance speak frequently about the the secondary the effects of secondary or the effects of PTSD and the well they call it you know it's the effects of caregiving and what it does to the psyche and how it is an uh-huh. emotional the emotional turmoil that the caregiver goes through and this is where I see and this again it goes I go back to the special needs community and the EFMP community that's where I first heard the term secondary PTSD. A dear friend of mine named Catherine is the, the writer, and she is the founder of the blog um, Singing Through the Rain. And she writes okay. very, very passionately about raising two EFMP children with autism, and her daughter is what is called, they call her medically complex. They're not really sure what's going on, the doctors and the millions of specialists this child has seen. Okay, I mean, this girl, little girl has been is just now turning two. She has had multiple surgeries. They can, and, the, and 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 it's just they, the, these doctors. They've got some, you know, some have a diagnosis, some don't. I mean, Catherine, if you were to talk to Catherine, you would you would think, oh, she seems to be really handling things very well, and she is. But imagine what it's like for her that within. 48 hours of hearing your child retching and vomiting, they're telling you, hey, we're going to take her into surgery, and she's two months old. And these surgeries don't stop, and you don't have answers. And now they're rushing your child from Children's in Atlanta, and they're medically evacuating her to Boston Children's. And, oh, by the way, TRICARE has decided not to pay for any of that because she came in on an ER visit, came into the ER because she was rushed from her clinic down in, 
in in Georgia to Atlanta, and Atlanta's like too complex for us. We're medically evacuating her to Boston. And TRICARE says, oh, because it was an ER case and an ER admission, we're not going to pay for that. Just the constant stress that Catherine is under with these children who are these beautiful, bright souls on this earth. These are the most beautiful children. But she is constantly fighting for their health care, fighting for answers. She, I mean, she feels like every day she is strapping in and going to battle. I would honestly say that Catherine has PTSD, and that's just my personal opinion. That is by no means a professional opinion. And guess what she would say it to, because I'm looking at the blog post that she wrote about it, and it is fantastic. And it will bring you to tears, because she fights tooth and nail for her children. I mean, that kind of stress. The anxiety that it places on her as a parent, I mean, and that's where the term, again, I I reference back to that's where I first heard secondary PTSD was talking to a mother with a special needs child because she is the constant stress that is on her has deteriorated her health, destroyed her marriage, not my friend Catherine, but another person. I mean, and it's it's always... and she has no end in sight, no end in sight. And, and it's not just the medical side she's fighting with. She's fighting with the school system, too. She's fighting with the buses to make sure that, you know, her child is safe on the bus. I mean, she, has, she, she was kicked out of church because her daughter was too loud. You know, I mean, the church was like, yeah, we're going we're to have to ask you to leave. Seriously? You know, and that. That's that in itself right there just shows that church needs to do it needs to do some some uh, they need to they need to get their shit together. Yeah, they do. I mean, but that these families with children with severe and profound special needs, they don't need to be kicked out of a church. They need help. They need a safe place to go where they can sit there and just be okay and Absolutely. take a deep breath for 45 minutes once a week, for an hour once a and week. You know, that's what they if need. You are, if you're religious or if you, have, if you have a spiritual background, you recognize that, that you, you don't push somebody away in that position. You're supposed to help them. You're supposed to comfort them. You're supposed to provide them a, a, a sanctuary. And Yes. Yeah, that's... It's it's not her fault, and, and it's sad that she experienced that. Yeah, but that's that church needs to that that church needs to be boycotted. Turn them over to the I completely Baptist agree. Church. I completely agree. But re, okay, so if you if you were to reach out to the Military Special Needs Network, um, the founder, her name is Wendy Cruz, is the most amazing advocate I know. She is, seriously is phenomenal. Wendy is just, she's feisty, she's awesome, but I seriously, I wouldn't mess with Wendy because I know that she would punch me in the face and just walk away, you know, and not even think about it because you don't mess with her kids. And her daughter has cerebral palsy, and it's just a constant battle with TRICARE, the schools, everything is a constant battle. She's exhausted, she's worried. She's stressed out. She's anxious. She cries. She has nightmares. I mean, just, you know, she has to think about one day I'm going to pass away. I'm going to die. I need to make sure that Addie is provided for. 
You know, it's, it's just these constant stresses and thoughts and, and, and this pressure on parents and caregivers and just people in general who, you know, some people just can't handle that, that kind of stress, and it's not a bad thing that they can't handle that kind of stress. No one should be under that amount of stress all the time. It's damaging to your body, you know. I mean, that level of stress is very damaging. Yeah. And, and, and you know, even clinical workers experience, experience that as well. I mean, your emergency room technicians, mm-hmm. especially if you're stuck in the emergency room, if you're in the emergency room doctor, and that's where you really excel at, um, even though you're high speed and you like doing it, the fact that you, you see people come in that have body parts missing, and, yes. uh, you know, it's, it, it, it depends, it, you know, there's a, here's something that a gentleman by the name of Figley, I have no idea what this is, but that's the reference. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's something that came out of something this Figley wrote in 1995, secondary traumatic stress. Now this is dealing with healthcare workers describes a professional worker's subclinical or clinical signs and symptoms of PTSD that are similar to those experienced by trauma clients, friends, or family members. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you're, where you, I mean, now, and that, and I, I, I need to put this a little bit more into perspective. This is looking at the, 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 the people that are involved with, uh, the healthcare individuals, because they start talking about. Let me go see if I can go back um, uh, a slide or two. Compassion fatigue is where you have either uh, burnout, which is from being having to do the same thing over and over again, and nobody seems to want to help, and so you end up getting burned out on that particular item. secondary traumatic stress, which we, which is also called vicarious traumatization. Compassion fatigue mm-hmm. and counter transference. All of this is part of the compassion continuum. So you need to figure out how you can get that to go back into compassion sat compassion satisfaction, also known as vitality. So that's where the the definition of secondary traumatic stress, uh, the vicarious traumatization that I just read, uh, came from. It's part of a slideshow that I put onto my um, AFI Army Spouse of the Year page uh, due to the fact that, that that's one of the areas I'm getting to school in and trying to do is I'm trying to get a psychology or not just, I think, yeah, psychology or psychiatry, psychiatry no psychology, um, psychology degree uh, with military, uh, military, uh, uh, yeah. Boy, my tanks got tangled up on that one. Anyway, that's okay. I, I get what you're that, saying. I'm getting that page and using it to work on trying to get uh, more and more reference material to to look into, and people are pulling that stuff off to make it under, to understand what's going on. <clears throat> and so that's where the, the the secondary PTSD. We talked about it last week. We had MJ Boyce on, and she's pretty pretty. Uh, uh, well-versed in secondary uh, PTSD, and she was going to be on to pass on some of her nuggets, but uh, she got tied up in doing some uh, all kinds of things, and we're right smack in the middle of her her briefs that she had to do. So she was unable to come onto the show like we hoped she would be able to do, 
Um, if there's anybody that's an expert out there and knows anything about PTSD and secondary PTSD and would like to call in and clear the air. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I would call it secondary PTSD as much as I would just, you know, say it's, you know, an association. Does that make sense? You know, I mean, okay, so you got to think about it. You're a parent and something traumatizing happens to your child and now you are, you know, sitting there looking at your child hooked up to, you know, machines in a hospital. That's your baby. That's going to mess with your head no matter what because that's your baby. Yep. You know, I mean, I got to tell you something. If that was my kid, I would just lose my mind. I mean, it's just, I, you know, Ian's my baby. No one messes with my baby. I'm, I get way mama bear on stuff. So, you know, I will, I will hurt someone. I will, oh, my goodness, I get crazy. You know, you don't mess with my kid. But would that, but, but, but as, I as mean, time progresses. I mean, if he was to, you know, if I, you know, I don't know. I mean, yes, would it scare me to the point where it would keep, make me a little, have, give me, you know, would it, would it impact me to the point where I would have some sleeplessness and some anxiety? Yeah, more than likely I would. Because I know what it was like just fighting for Ian's health care to the point where, you know, to where he is now and the stress and the anxiety that it caused me. Oh my gosh! I, it impacted my sleep. My blood pressure was elevated. I, you know, I was very quick to snap at people. Very quick to snap at people because sitting here worrying about my son, access, you know, trying to access healthcare for my son because he can't. He was two. It's not like he could sit there and say, "Hey, I need for you to help, you know, get me my health, you know, give me access to healthcare." He was two. That was my job. Yes. And because that burden fell on me, it was incredibly stressful and it was and it really it it put me into a place and that I did not like. Hey Jay. You know, and you like I am, I am a strong strong individual, Dave, but I got to tell you something, you mess with my kid. Whew, <laughs> holy bananas. Right. Yeah, what's up Dave? Jay, you put some you put some links up in the chat room. You want to talk about them? Uh, Oh, I put up several links. Um, let's see which ones are which now. So the well, first, first one, PSM uh, five org documents. It just outlines what was changed and what is new that they added to PTSD in the DSM five. The right. next one down below, Vietnam, PTSD walking on eggshells. That's actually an article written by um, Tendall and Fischler. And they have their little credentials down at the very bottom of the of that article. The article talks about secondary PTSD. Uh, uh, it's coming from Tendall, who has over 20 years of combat veterans and their families as a licensed psychotherapist, uh, specializing in combat-related PTSD. So that's a, an actually interesting read to read that. Then the PTSD.va.gov, that's the Veterans Affairs PTSD link. They link through so many different uh, PTSD overviews, and they got a heavy amount of information to look at. Then the last one, let's see, which one was this? The last one was the, an actual PowerPoint presentation with the Veterans Affairs, and they go over trauma and stress-related disorders within the new DSM-5. And it talks about everything from PTSD all the way down to associative disorders, um, anxiety disorders, 
OCD type of disorders, disassociative disorders. So they kind of cover the gamut of what has changed and what is new within the DSM-5. And there is a secondary subtype that DSM-5 did include as, along with the preschool subtype. It's called a disassociative disorder. Right. Good stuff, too. Uh, I'm trying to look up the, the presentation that, that I set up for people to, to look at from my uh, from my page so that uh, I can put it into the, the, the chat room as well. And let me see, where did I put that puppy? It says, make sure I've got the, the, the words right. It is, uh, let's see. Well, that's not really showing me what I need to see. Uh, slideplayer.com dash slash slide slash 4674639. That will bring up the presentation uh, from SlidePlayer. It is from 2010, I do believe. Let me, let me go ahead and copy that link address. Get ready to paste it in. And then that way it'll be part of the forever. Because I just messed that up. I did. I just messed that up. You turkey. All right. Are you talking about the um, presentation one, preparing the adult mental health workforce to succeed? Um, I don't know. Secondary PTSD slide show. Very interesting. That's slideplayer. Um, it could be. It's a, well, it actually, I think it starts out with um, burnout. It's no small business. I think that was yeah, that's one. the type. Yep, I've got, let me put that in the chat room right here. Press paste and hit send. That's what I got. Yeah. yeah. I think I took off the the, the, the Facebook tracker code on the end. <laughs> yeah, that worked. Good. Very good. Very good. All right. That's what I was reading from uh, a minute ago. So, now, uh, let's see, what did I, where do we want to do? Okay, shut that down there. And okay, now, DSM-5 criteria for PTSD on the National Center for PTSD at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. I wonder, do they talk about secondary in the Department of Veterans Affairs? No, probably they not. Want? They don't. <laughs> They, they well, talk about they should. The, the the soldier, uh, you know, for for the, the service member. They don't really talk about secondary at all. Well, damn it. <laughs> they it do talk about um, under six years of age and younger. They, they do talk about all the other ones. They don't talk about second. They don't call it secondary if you look at it that way. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, it's the professional. This is the professional side for researchers, providers, and helpers. So, yeah. Well, okay, so the, the criterion that is now included into DSM-5, criterion A is the person was exposed to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, actual or threatened sexual violence as follows. One, direct exposure. Two, witnessing in person. Three, indirect learning that a close relative or close friend was exposed to trauma. The event involved actual or threatened death must have been violent or accidental. So that's kind of like the secondary right there in criterion A. Yep. That's 
three kind of. can infer is repeated or extreme indirect exposure to aversion details of the events, usually in the course of professional duties. For example, first responders, collecting body parts, professionals repeatedly exposed to details of child abuse. This does not include indirect non-professional exposure through electronic television, movies, or pictures. So they kind of touch on secondary under criterion A via the indirectly, but they don't call it secondary. Which is, and, and I believe that's because they're trying to get it into full-fledged first level uh, primary, if you will. Exactly. Uh, they're actually posting it as PTSD versus secondary PTSD. Even though you got it indirectly, it's still considered PTSD via DSM. Let's see. What do they want to do? What do they want to do? Now, family of a vet put something out called uh, secondary PTSD, and what, from the looks of it, this is a website in which they are trying to make uh, secondary PTSD something that, that's being paid attention to uh, due to the fact that Vietnam had a huge amount of shell shock soldiers come back, and the, the, the family members had, had to deal with it, and over a period of time, these spouses and family members are experiencing secondary PTSD. I kind of understand that, and I would I'm I'm not sure I want to call it secondary PTSD because it sounds like a a smaller level of PTSD. But I would rather call somebody who's dealt with uh, like somebody from Viet that, that experienced Vietnam uh, the caregiver or family member, you know, spouse or whatever, that they actually develop PTSD, a different kind, if you will, but, it, but secondary, I'm not sure. Here is the... I'm Why not? I wish we could just say that there are a variety of types, that there are types of PTSD, you know, instead of calling it secondary, because I don't know if I like that, that phrase, secondary, as much as... Oh. You know, it's trauma is trauma. You know, some people can handle it well, some people can't. You know, and then there's the then there's, you know, the thing, the parts of life that get associated with trauma. You know, um and in that, you know, you have to deal with that aftermath as well. You know, I mean, it's just trauma is trauma and some people will ex- will handle it differently than others and you know i mean my house was hit by a tornado that was a pretty traumatizing incident i'm not gonna lie and then my i mean i crack really goofy jokes about it but um you know my house was hit by a tornado i had to leave my home my husband deployed right after that i bought a home all on our own and dealt with a shady contractor the entire time because okay this area had been ravaged by tornadoes and my husband was in Afghanistan. And, oh, wait, my kid is going through some health care issues, and I'm fighting with the military treatment facility and TRICARE at the same time. You know, I, got a, I have quite a few friends who would have said that I, that I had PTSD. Because just well, the overall trauma and stress that we were under, because if you want to really get very technical here, I didn't have an, a home address anymore. 
My stuff was all in storage. What we could, my stuff that we could salvage was in storage. I didn't have a home address. If my parents didn't live in the Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, I would have been living in a hotel for months on end, paying out of, you know, paying out of pocket for that. And I, I mean, I would not have had, you know, a home of record address. I didn't have, you know, not a home of record, but I didn't have an address. I didn't have a place that I could sit there and say, that is my home that I go home to every single night. I didn't. My, the place I said I wanted to go home to every single night had been hit by a tornado and had a tree but fall on the roof. See, but did you see an end in sight? Eventually, not for a while. Not for a while. It, took, it was a long time. It took me a long time to see that end in sight. It really did. It was tough. But how long, how long was a long time? It took me a few months. It took me and, – and here's the other thing. That moment, standing there, I will never forget it. I will never forget that day. That moment, standing there, April 17, 2011, standing in front of my tornado torn up house, looking at my neighbors whose homes are all destroyed as well. Um, you know, just standing there with my seven month old baby in my arms, and I just stood there, and all I could do was I, I could barely breathe. I could hardly feel. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest, but I could barely breathe because right. I knew I looked over at my husband and I was like, you're deploying in two days. What are we going to do? What am I going to do? And he, he had no answer. Right. But he said, uh, I don't and, know. And I understand. I understand. And you I, know, I, I mean, it was to... tough. It was, it was awful, Dave. And it has forever right. altered my response. That's the thing it's now. Also, My response to stress has altered because of that moment. But did it, it's did weird. it alter to the bad? Did it alter yes. to the bad or did yes. you grow from it? I did. I, it altered to the bad, but I also grew from it. Now, now it feels like everything is a constant fight, though. Like everything seems to be a constant fight. Right. And I and well, I don't and like that feeling. And not life is not a constant fight. It shouldn't be this constant battle where I'm seriously like picking up my shield and my sword and putting my helmet on and I'm like, "Okay, I'm ready to go." You know? I mean, that's not how I in my opinion, that's not how life is supposed to be. But my response altered because of those moments because I was constantly fighting. You know, I mean, I sat there, I got into some contractor's face who called me little lady, and I was like, oh, no. Well, you know, I was like, you know, I I mean, it was crazy. I was crazy. Trust me, Susan, I respect you (laughs) as a human, and and I'm not meaning to piss you off here, but I'm... Oh, yeah. I, I... I'm not buying into the fact that you're experiencing PTSD from this, and, and I I can explain. Let me let me try. I don't know if I try. really did either, but I have people okay. who would say I did. I have people. I have. There are those who. There are friends of mine who would say that it was very mild. Right. You know, because of the anxiety that it caused, because of the stress that it caused, because of the altering in my personality and my responses to extreme stresses and things, you know, and things of that nature now and how I go into this fight or flight syndrome, you know, I go into fight or flight and I always come out fighting. I come out swinging every time. 
So, you know, so for me, it's not necessarily fight or flight. It's always just fight and fight some more. Right. But it has, um, but my my (laughs) responses to stress changed from that. It really did. It was very, it was very strange. And now would I call that PTSD? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know if I would. What I was about to say is that, that, um, what you, what you experienced, a lot of people who are homeless are experiencing that, whether it's be from the loss of a job because of something they did stupid in the workplace and, you know, they no longer uh, have a job. There's a, there's a difference between going into clinical depression, which what you experienced could have ended in the, 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 the desire to hurt yourself and or commit suicide in the process. Yep. But PTSD people, people who are experiencing PTSD, don't necessarily think about hurting themselves or committing suicide. They react because something triggers them. Yes. And which is why, I, you know, it, when it comes to secondary PTSD, what are you actually experiencing? And, and again, realistically, folks, I want to, I want to, to get – I'm going to clear the air real quick on this. I am taking the devil advocate side. I believe in PTSD. I believe it exists. I haven't studied it. I haven't gotten deep into it. But I'm taking the side of where I was about a month ago where PTSD, I didn't even consider there being a secondary PTSD because it just seemed absurd. And so I'm sticking with that for the purpose of this conversation. I may piss you off, Susan. And if I piss no, you off, I don't think so. Don't worry. I don't think you will because we have, we can have an honest discussion about this. This is your opinion. Absolutely. Now listen to this. Here's something that was written for about a caregiver of a PTSD, somebody who was ex- experiencing a full scale PTSD. Uh, she talks about your vet is not emotionally there for you when you're upset or happy, angry or sad. You have to deal with your emotions on your own. You begin to feel ignored and unloved and start protecting yourself by treating others, especially the vet who's experiencing the PTSD, in that same way. You're also probably handling all the household chores, child care, financial management, etc. You get no help from your spouse, or maybe very little, but you're the cook, the chauffeur, the secretary, the accountant, the yard guy, the child care provider, the laundry service, etc., etc., etc. And everything in your family feels, everybody and everything in your family piles it onto you. They make you feel like it is up to you. It's a 24-7 job at which you constantly fail. It's not humanly possible to do everything or to prevent PTSD from creeping in, but the cycle takes its toll on many spouses who are are living in that situation. You lose yourself. It's impossible to tiptoe around your vet day in, day out, while taking care of all of of life's other duties. Duties normally shared between two people without feeling the strain. And that strain soon transforms into, ta-da, secondary PTSD. Secondary PTSD may make you feel overly angry, depressed, exhausted, but alas, unable to sleep, overwhelmed, and just plain unhappy with the world around you. I could, uh, this, this, the, the, the author says, I can honestly say there have been times when I found the idea of folding a load of laundry was absolutely impossible. I felt that I could do nothing right. I cried a lot and was really, really pissed off at the world. Ooh. 
Now, Boy, that kind of describes yeah. me right after we lost our house in the tornado. I was pretty pissed off at the world. I mean, if anyone oh, gave I, me the side eye, I was like, ooh. I understand that, but I you found a them. way to bounce back. You found a way to, to get better. So if my if my mother had if my mother and my stepfather and my and my dad and my stepmother hadn't been here in North Carolina, I I would not be the Susan Reynolds I am right now. I would be a very so, angry angry probably arrested person too. I probably would have been arrested for assault. No no kidding. I was very angry because I was so stressed out and I felt so isolated and I felt very. Um, I felt like there was like the the pressure just could would not stop. It just never stopped, Dave. That was the part that just was so awful. Is that that pressure never ever stopped? And and it because I, I felt like I was barely treading water some days. Not kidding. It was weird how that pressure just was so overwhelming. And. You know, when I'm caring for my child and I've got a husband in Afghanistan and I've got, you know, I'm driving back and forth from Raleigh to Fayetteville every day. And that's not, you know, that's not like some quick little 20-minute drive. That's over an hour and I'm having to plan between nap time and doctor's appointments and this and that. And, I, you know, and then I get this doctor who's like, well, you know, we're not going to help your kid out with this consult. And I was like, oh, my God. Please, please tell me no. Please tell me no, lady. I said, because I am itching to scream at you. And she just kind of, I will never forget that pediatrician just looked at me and I said, yeah, tell me no again that you're not going to give me that consult for my kid. Seriously, I'm itching to scream at you. They are going to call the MPs on me today. And she's like, I'll get you that consult. I was like, thank you. I mean, I was was mad. I could not believe how just hair trigger mad I was. But as we started, as things started to finally, as answers started to come to the the long-standing questions, as all of a sudden there was light because we were coming towards the end of that tunnel, it things did get better. But I finally had to go out and and say, you know, look, I'm going to need to see a counselor because this has just been too much. I need to see somebody because I if I don't if I don't get some help soon, I'm not going to be a, a pleasant person to be around. Because right. I'm not sure if I really like myself, you know. Jay, so would I call that PTSD? In, I don't know. I, it it I would not call it PTSD due to the fact that you were able to recover from it. But after a period of time experiencing that very same thing and unable to come and and find your way through the wilderness, then uh, then yes, I would start calling it secondary PTSD because then it becomes something that needs to be clinically assisted with. But if you're oh, able yeah. to come through with the help of friends or family, then it's not necessarily has it developed into post-traumatic stress disorder because you you didn't experience the disorder side of it. You did uh, feel post-traumatic stress, absolutely, guaranteed oh, yeah. felt that. Uh, it was, feel that it, and way it was you, strange. You feel I that mean, way when you fail a test in, in, in school, you will feel post-traumatic stress but oh yeah know. i mean um you okay so have, I, mean, it's, it, I don't oh i'm sorry go on no go ahead i, I was i was just so, asking jay jay's got jay's got yeah i just I, set that one up jay is on the uh, ball look at all these articles jay you're amazing 
That I one know, was actually he's got, he's got, going back to Christopher Burkhart. He asked, what about children who could end up with PTSD, secondary PTSD? So I just gave him the link that you gave yes. me with one step further that went a little bit further into it. Into children. You, That's um, perfect. Did yep. you read the blog that I posted from my friend Catherine? That is just. It's amazing, you, you two. I mean, seriously, she is, first of all, she's a gifted writer. So there's, you know, you've got, she's got that going on. But, I mean, to read about what she went through with her daughter, um, just, I, I'm not kidding. I sat here in my living room crying. And I just, I wished I was in Colorado Springs to give Catherine a hug. Because I know that had to be very difficult for her to write that out. And Catherine is very honest about everything that she's gone through with her children and, and accessing health care for them and fighting for their care. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. Now, Susan, you're in the chat room as Bad Mother yes. Advocate. Um, yes. Go ahead and post that link. To, I will do that. And, and that, will, that will help in the meantime. Um, and Christopher is listening in through the chat room. You can do that, folks. You can, you can get on and, and just punt jump into the chat room that way you can type out your questions as necessary but jay you have a couple of um couple of links that you've put up here one oh, of jay, which right is up there. jay you're awesome nc ncbi uh pc article pcm or pmc 2080512 okay that one's actually an one interesting up. one so the ncbi one is actually they took 87 military spouses, or you know, vets of spouses from the, from Croatia during the Croatian War, and they actually did a oh, full yeah. And that was really, really interesting. So um, the aim of that abstract was to determine the su- symptoms of secondary traumatic stress and possible influence of demographic and socioeconomic factors on the occurrence of secondary traumatic stress in wives of war veterans in a post-traumatic stress disorder. So if you read wow. through that article, it's very in-depth, and they talk about, again, this was back in the early 2000s, so they kind of changed it, everything else, with DSM-5 coming out. They, they, they still don't recognize it as, uh, you know, secondary. They consider it as straight PTSD, from what I understand. But this is actually an interesting read. It's about maybe five, ten-minute read to get through everything, but uh, right. it, it goes really into detail on it, and it, it, they tell you how they did it, what the experiment was, what they described, everything else, and then what the conclusions were. Even though it's from Croatia, it's actually very relevant to what you guys are talking about. Right, well, because those, well, they went the mad human psyche and the brain are the same, wherever you go. Uh, you mm-hmm. have the Mother Jones, motherjones.com, uh, one from 2013. Yeah, tell that us one was, about that, Jay. Okay, so that article is titled, Is PTSD Contagious? So it was written by uh, Mac McClelland back in January, February of 2013 is when the issue came out. So that's where it, it showed up. I'm not sure exactly the timing of when it was actually written, but uh, it came out in that issue of 2013. And that one it talked was, about, you know, dairy, uh, PTSD, just like anything else. So the guy is an Iraq vet, comes home, uh, and now the wife is, is – experiencing and demonstrating the same symptoms that he has been experiencing and demonstrating after a certain amount of time staying with him. So she received hypervigilance, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's like she's got full-blown PTSD, although she's not a a war vet herself. She's just living with right. It just shows that it gets transferable. Hey, we need to take a quick 60-second break, uh, play it out sponsor for today's show of course with all of the shows 
of the Military Guide to Financial Independence and Security by Doug Nordman. We'll be back after 60 seconds with more good stuff on secondary PTSD. Is your current financial state keeping you up at night? Unsure how you could possibly save for retirement with such a tight budget? Well, one of today's sponsors is the Military Guide for Financial Independence and Retirement, written by Doug Nordman and is available through your local library or for purchase on Amazon. This book shows service members, veterans, and their families how to reach financial independence and retire on their terms and, in my opinion, should be required reading for all man spouses. There are no tricks or gimmicks, just thoughtful spending and a higher savings rate. Most military families can do this within 10 to 20 years, and a few have done it even faster. All of Doug's royalties are donated to military charities, so you know he's financially independent without your money. So, get your copy today from the library or buy one at Amazon. The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement, written by Doug Nordman. All righty, and we're back with Male Military Spouse Radio Show, episode number 68. This is PTSD and a military spouse. Say it isn't so. We're talking, of course, about secondary PTSD. I have in the, the, the room with me, Jay Howe and Susan Reynolds, uh, both of which are coming up with all kinds of great things dealing with secondary PTSD, probably off of just simple searches on the Internet, but because none of us are experts. But um, I started out the whole thing with I don't really believe in secondary PTSD. And so we're doing the best to try and convince me that it does exist. Uh, we got a couple other people that have been sitting back and listening in. Uh, Christopher's over in the chat room. You can chat with him if you're in the, in the listening and unable to talk for whatever reason. Daniel was in for a second or two, but he has, uh, he had somewhere else he had to go. Um, over at the over at the Capitol building, so uh, he had to leave for a brief moment. Uh, he might be back. Who knows? There might not be enough time, though. Anyway, back to you guys. Go ahead. What do we got? Uh, so, <laughs> not, not it all went quiet, but no. Uh, there, there's a couple other questions that uh, looks like Chris wanted to know. So I delved into a little bit more. There is a second thing. It's called known as secondary PTSD. It's also known as secondary traumatic stress, or STS. So you look that right. up, man. It's a PDF file, so you can bring it up and actually uh, be able to print it out. Oh, by the way, folks, for those of you that are listening as a podcast, uh, obviously after today being Friday, you're listening to it at a later date. All of these links are in the description, and if I can't get them all into the, into the, the description, and that's because it might have limitations in characters. I will make them available, and I'll put a link in the description over to where all these particular links are, and then you can go uh, follow along with us. So go ahead, Jay. Um, so, Talking again, a lot of this is early 2000, late 90s, early 2000, mid-2000, where they all consider a secondary traumatic stress or secondary PTSD. As of today, they no longer consider it that for some reason. Uh, they still look at it as more as a full-blown PTSD. Really? Oh, okay. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I see... Um, DSM-5, we're seeing that it's indirectly, so therefore, if it's even though it's indirectly, it's still considered under PTSD versus uh, secondary. If I can pull that back. I'm going to read that first chapter for people so they see 
where, where, where it comes up. It says, each year more than 10 million children in the United States endure trauma of abuse, violence, natural disasters, and other adverse events with a, uh, a subheading uh, of two. Uh, we'll look that up in just a moment. That probably tells us what, where that came from. These experiences can give rise to significant emotional and behavioral problems that can profoundly disrupt the children's lives and bring them in contact with child-serving systems. For therapists, child welfare workers, case managers, and other helping professionals involved in the care of traumatized children and their families, the essential act of listening to trauma stories may take an emotional toll that compromises professional functioning and diminish quality of life. Individuals and supervisory awareness of the impact of this indirect trauma exposure, which is referred to as secondary traumatic stress, is a basic part of protecting the health of the worker and ensuring that children consistently receive the best possible care from those who are committed to helping them. So it, it sounds like what it's this, this particular sheet isn't necessarily dealing with the, the PTSD in the children, but is dealing instead with the professionals that work with children right. who are, ex- are exhibiting PTSD, how to recognize whether or not you're taking on, because of your em- empathetic, uh, empathetic ways of, of wanting to help. Because when you help with a child, you definitely want you want to feel what that child is feeling. You want to help that child by, by letting them know that you're there with them. And thus, you may actually envelop yourself into their PTSD and thus start becoming traumatically stressed as well. Boy, that went long. Huh. Are you, are, are, are you going on? Are you reading it too, Susan? I am. It's just it's very interesting. I mean, I what I what I really appreciate about all of this is that we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's great actually. I have I think that that past year that there have been a number of podcasts and a number of of internet radio shows that have touched upon secondary traumatic stress and I have purposely not listened to any of them because I want to I want us to do the exploring and then compare the other broadcasts as well to see whether or not we were able to service as well if not if not come up with something uh, you know um, the aha moment yeah I know and I agree with that and it's um you I'm, I'm thinking about something um, that my brother and I actually we're talking about. So, um, Dave, you know this because we've talked about this, but, Jay, you probably don't know this. Um, last year my stepmother committed suicide, and she uh, shot herself, and it actually took her two days to die. And, um, and it was awful. It was, it, was, it was just awful. I mean, it's not an, a phone call you ever expect to, to receive ever in your life. And uh, to be to be very honest, I it, it still it breaks my heart, and it's been a year. It's been over a year, and um, and it still it just really it just breaks my heart because I she just I was I I you know I I had no idea that she was going through so much, and I you know and and that's just something I get to live with you know, 
But um, and my brother and I were talking because I said, you know, it's it's cool. I said because we really talk a lot about suicide and PTSD and getting mental health help and and breaking down barriers. And my brother said that that's great because I think that the military is really setting the standard here on on changing the conversation. He goes because I can tell you, in the civilian side, there still is a huge stigma. We just, he goes, it's still, when I, you know, when I tell people my stepmother committed suicide, he goes, people just really give me this look. They don't know how to respond. You know, it's, it's, it, and some people were like, well, that was her choice. So they're, you know, people behave very callously towards him. And I think, and I start, and it got me thinking, you know, we need to have this conversation more because if we're having it in the military, because we are all obviously military, military affiliated as military spouses veterans uh, we seem to be having a very good conversation i don't mean just on this radio show right now but i mean we are really changing the conversation on ptsd secondary ptsd suicide awareness getting mental health help recognizing the fact that you need to get help in the military but my brother does not see that filtering out outside the military and he he would even say that even now, he's and he's right. That's the crazy part. Like that's the part that just blows my mind, um, because he he needs. You know, he was there. He was actually he drove from Charlotte to Edenton, North Carolina. He saw her in the hospital and what she looked like and how bad it was, and it caused. He had really he he was very um, affected by it by seeing Penny, my stepmom in that condition with half of her head gone. Um, And just seeing her was very, very troubling for him to the point that he did have nightmares and it did impact his sleep. Um, And he had to go and get help for it because he just, it really, it bothered him to be there to see that because he, he wanted to be there for our dad. And I got there a couple of days afterwards and she had already passed away. He will never be able to unsee it. No, he won't. He, he Even now, he tells me, he goes, I still, he goes, there are times where I just can't close my eyes because I can't unsee it. Yeah. I just can't gonna, unsee it. I'm going to go over and to it's, I'm And, go it's, over and to it worries me, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm okay, go I'm to sorry. Family, secondary PTSD for uh, in children. Uh, link that you sent us there. Jay, before we talk about the next link that you sent, um, yep. it's got it really. It's pretty good. I, I just read this over. Secondary PTSD in children: thirty-nine percent of those who live with a veteran who is struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder will develop secondary PTSD. Thirty-nine wow. percent, also known That's as STS or secondary traumatic stress. Be on the lookout for symptoms of STS in your child. And if you notice any of these behaviors, seek help as soon as possible. Unfortunately, if left untreated, secondary PTSD can negatively impact the rest of your child's life. Now, disclaimer. I want to throw a disclaimer out here. This is on the Internet, okay, which means that if it's not coming from a university or some governmental study where you can recognize the the link as such, you must take this as opinion, not necessarily as gospel. But 
the fact that they've done the research and put this out here in such a good, concise manner, I want to read it to you. But again, recognize that that as far as is this is this hard and fast, take that with a grain of salt. I want to take it as hard and fast because it's really good. Here are the signs and symptoms of secondary PTSD to watch for in children. Extreme mood changes or irritability. Depression and anxiety. Losing creativity and interest in activities that they typically enjoy. Loneliness, withdrawal, and pulling away. Acting out more than a child should at their age. Fighting and trying to harm siblings. Self-destruction or destruction in property. Stating or acting that they are to blame for a person's PTSD outbursts. Stating or feeling that, that though a parent no longer, okay, let me restart that one again. Stating or feeling as though a parent no longer cares for or loves them. Becoming numb towards family, friends, and things that they used to take pleasure in. Copying a parent's attitude and actions in an attempt to reconnect with their parents. Attempting to take on more than they should at their age. Trying to fill the void in the family or take a parent's place. Drop in grades or failing in school when they used to have strong grades. Hard time making new friends and keeping old friends. Well, that kind of goes with PCS. Suddenly getting into an unusual amount of trouble and taking place in violent acts. Those are signs and symptoms of secondary PTSD to watch for in children. Um, I'm not sure that you would want to do it on just one or two, but on maybe seven or eight of those, look at it and go, okay. And as they start filling in, and don't tell the child that you think they have PTSD or that they have secondary PTSD, but, but they're, they're, because they're children, they're learning from us. They're they're emulating us. They're they're trying to become adults themselves. The fact that one adult that is that that, that they look up to is having problems with what they cannot unsee, then that's not that you know. I'm not saying keep them away from that that adult. Don't keep them away from that parent, but recognize that you need to tell the tell the child. You know, you're. Your your dad or your mom is having one of their one of one of their, their minutes where things are things are back where they, where it doesn't need to be. Don't emulate them. But I you know again I don't know how to do that. I'm not a I I, I I'm not a clinician. Uh, but how it PTA, how it impacts children it continues on. Um, and I'll let you guys read that on your own. That particular one. Uh, that particular link was the the uh, um, the family of vet secondary PTSD children that Jay put okay. uh, right after uh, Chris asked what uh, what about okay. children what about children who end up with PTSD or secondary PTSD uh, Jay would you like to talk for a moment on this next one that you threw out which is the NTS NCTS net the what is child traumatic stress PDF? Oh, yeah, and that's then, the one I'm uh, reading over right now. This is good stuff. That's Are the you... uh, fact sheet for child-serving professionals. That's the one that deals with the professionals themselves, uh, that deals with those secondary traumatic stress with children and things like that. Um, 
the one that you were actually reading off of, if you go back to that one, that uh, family of a vet, right below that, it'll actually say some of the information is adapted from an article originally found at the VA, ptsd.va.gov. So if you could right. follow that link, that link is no longer available. That link is actually gone because they renamed it and they changed it to um, ptsd.va.gov forward slash professional forward slash treatment forward slash children forward slash pro child parent ptsd.asp. So that's where the, all that information came from. Or a lot of it came from, not all of it, but a lot of it. Nice. And do so I'll actually that link one that one the... into there because I, I, okay. I'll back up in there just so that way everybody can see where that secondary, you know, that, that percentage and all that stuff that they were kind of quoting uh, and symptoms. Right. So that 39% uh, who live with a veteran struggling, all that kind of stuff is, will be found at the VA. Uh, then the second link thereafter, let's see, what was the next one after that? Um the one that says, okay, here's a PDF on children themselves rather than those working with children. Again, it's from uh, the NCTSnet. Actually stands the national, for, what is it? The National Child Trauma Center. The, the national, tra, national Child Traumatic Stress Network is That's it. the ones that are putting it out. So this very next link was the one deals exactly with children. It says, what is child traumatic stress? And then it goes into detail, outlines, and defines, and gives symptoms of what traumatic stress is for children. Again, these are uh, a little old. I think this one was done in 2003. So, you know, as time develops, and 2013 was the latest DSM. So some things have not necessarily changed, but they've been recodified and redefined kind of thing. Re-examined. So, Examine right, so that's that one yeah. right there. And a lot of then the, after that, are pretty much knee-jerk reactions to the to the the, the the phenomenon, and and thus they're you know throw something out there. Uh, it's it's like putting shit against the wall, see what sticks. Right. Okay. And so the next link thereafter is actually a twelve-page brochure. It's a PDF again, and it comes from the National Child Traumatic Stress Network again. And it's called Understanding Child Traumatic Stress. And it goes into detail of mm-hmm. what is traumatic, uh, child traumatic stress, how danger becomes trauma, responding to trauma after. And then it goes into detail about all that kind of stuff and recovering from traumatic stress. It's actually a great uh, 12-page PDF. Again, this, I think this one's actually published back. I can't see the, cup, or, you know, the copyright on that one, but this, it should be um, early 2000. Well, and one of those child uh, trauma centers is at Duke University. Yes, it is. Is it? Yep. Yep. Duke University. The other one's at UCLA. Duke has a phenomenal children's hospital, so, I mean, phenomenal. Uh, Okay, so... The one that Dave was reading is actually here. I'll, I'll relink it again, so that way you don't get lost, Susan. It's okay. It's that one right <laughs> there. He knows so me. If you go to that one, we don't one, want right, you to get lost, Susan. <laughs> oh, I'm very cool with that. It'll say um, secondary PTSD in children. Right underneath that, it says 39% of those who live with the veteran. So that that's the one that uh, Dave was reading from. Yes. And it gives you like bullet point list. Of uh, the signs and symptoms. Yes, thank you. Okay, so and then if you read a little bit further underneath the bu- the bullet points, it will tell you that um, 
how, how PTSD impacts children. And then it's going to give you a little link to ptsd.va.gov. That link is no longer viable because they took that, that one down. Okay. And they re-looked re at it again. So if you look at the next link right after that, where uh, it says um, ptsd.va.gov, so right before, right after you put, Jay, which link is Dave reading from, that very link right there will give you back to the VA on the new updated page that they had previously. Okay. Thank you. I'm trying to get Ingrid to call into the show, Dave. Ingrid? Dr. Ingrid Herrera-Yee. Ah, Dr. Yee. Dr. Yee, but she is not. I, she's at work, so she's busy. You know, you know, hello. Why, she got to be working. So, <laughs> but she would be, yeah, it happens. Um, she is. She would be great to ask these kinds of questions too, if you ever want to do a follow up. Well, I'll so, have a chance to chat with her at, uh, next week. Next week, yeah. <laughs> Chris, since uh, you're not actually called in and you're just listening, here's a link to the National Child National Child Traumatic Stress Network. You can go there and you, in the search box up in a top right corner you can do all your searches through there about ptsd and secondary stress in uh, children that's where a lot of the yeah, links chris, are coming chris may have had to leave i don't know he he's not in the chat room at the moment at least it doesn't yeah, actually, yeah he's, well. but he's got he'll have he knows to to look and get get the uh, the links later so he'll be listening in as a podcast Uh. Oh, and I get all these links not through Google, by the way. I get it through Starpage. Oh. oh, lovely! Because mm -hmm. you asked that question, do you use you know what what uh, search engine you use? I use Starpage yeah, only because I don't want Google tracking me because I'm just paranoid that way. I don't blame you. I don't like being tracked. Well, yeah. I agree, but uh, I'm not a big uh, believer that we're being tracked to be, you know, Big Brother. I think we're being tracked to provide a a better experience. Right, but at the same time, it's still tracking you, and it, it's still learning your personality, your, your traits, and things like that. So I prefer to use Startpage, where it doesn't track you at all, and it Google's for you. So I send it to Startpage. Startpage then sends it to Google for me. So that way when they trace an IT back, it'll go back to Startpage and not to me. You know what? That's actually, you know, uh, you're, you're showing a sign of PTSD right there, Jay. You're afraid <laughs> your big brother is tracking you. You know? Just uh, one of those things. It's possible. Those infra the infrared, infrared reflective uh, uh, Flags that they put on the shoulders of our soldiers are a way of tracking because they have that, you know, that uh, GPS ink in them. Well, considering that so everybody has you, a mobile phone and every mobile phone has a GPS chip in it, <laughs> you're getting tracked either way. I know. That's uh, so do true. You have a link for that, do you have a link for that start page? Yeah, it's startpage.com. Here, I'll do it. There you go. Well, you might as well throw it in there so somebody can look at it going, where is that? 
we're 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 making a lot of people into uh, uh, dependent on us, and, and I like that. Okay, what else do we want to talk about? Have we have we covered secondary PTSD at least enough to for people to start doing some uh, study and uh, find out what it is? I, I'm instead of being in the position where I don't believe in secondary PTSD, I can see that secondary PTSD has been in the God. I hate to make it sound like it's a good thing in the limelight for. Well, since at least what twenty? I'm sorry, 1995. So that's almost 20 years. Uh, just it, it hasn't been brought into light where like we're doing now. So I'm I'm officially backing off and saying, okay, secondary PTSD does exist. Okay, going back to that one that one link from the National Child Traumatic Stress Network the PDF that's titled, What is Child Traumatic Stress? If you go back to that one, at the very near bottom of the page, it kind of tells you that some of these children may develop ongoing symptoms that are diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. It says it right there in black and white. So they, they know that there's an association between the two, you know, uh, secondary stress and PTSD. And they tried to make that, that connection, that, that association, way back then. This, is, this was issued back in 2003. And it's yeah. still not part of, you know, the DSM. DSM just, they kind of, I wouldn't say they overlook it, but they do bring it back into context where, where the indirectly. But if you read what they say about the indirect contact, is it's got to be death. So the criterion for PTSD, criterion A, is the person was exposed to, one, death or threatened death, actual or threatened or serious injury or actual or threatened sexual violence as follows. So if you look at that criterion, number three criterion underneath that is indirectly by learning that a close relative or close friend was exposed to trauma. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that person exactly, you know, is experiencing um, a breakup in a family unit. Mom and dad got divorced and it was a bad, horrible divorce or exposed to tornado ripping down the home or earthquake swallowing the home or anything like that. It does stipulate that it has to be deal with death, and it has to be either actual threatened, serious injury, or, or sexual violence, one of those three things. But it still does not look at the secondary PTSD as a diagnosable um, form or subtype. They do the subtype of the preschool, quote-unquote, children six years age or younger as well as a new disassociative subtype of PTSD but they don't really you know go what into it may, take, it may take them redefining or reexamining at least their mission statement their mission statement may be specifically with PTSD proper and the the, the fact that secondary PTSD has reared its it's uh, uh, its head such that it needs to be addressed. Now all of a sudden they're they're determining that you know they they they're they're not dealing with it because it's not within their mission statement. It could be. I'm guessing. Well, it, it come from a, uh, APA, so um, you know American Psychi uh, Psychiatric Association. So they're the ones that define it. They're the ones that uh, deal with the the DSM manual and yes, they do. 
Yeah, so they're the ones that do all that. So they're the ones that's actually defining the symptoms. And even if it's a – there was one article that they wanted to change it from PTSD, which means disorder, to PTSI for injury, just so that way that the military will not find it as a stigma. Yes. I Okay, I was going to bring that up. Thank you for saying that, Jay. I have heard that for the last probably five years that – there is a lot of uh, talk to remove the D part. So it's just either post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress injury, but the D, the disorder part, is really apparently the stigmatizing, is that a word? Um, I don't know. Uh, it, that would, is the I word that yes. provides the stigma. Okay, that's the word that, that adds into the stigma of PTSD is actually the disorder part. Right, yeah component as well. well I mean, I'm glad to, you, thank you, Jay. You have to remember that the human language has a tendency to change the definition, or I'm sorry, the English language, has a tendency yes. to change its definition according to the direction the wind is blowing. Did you know yes. that when it comes to defining something as a disease, we call, we, we call something a disease as, you know, well, it's not exactly at this moment named what precisely it is, but it's a terrible thing. When actually the word means dis-ease. Did, if you have heartburn, it's a dis-ease. If you stub your toe, your toe feels dis-ease. But we don't look at the word disease as what it really means. So no. PTSD, disorder. Oh, no, no, no. Call it PTSD. Look at the HIV thing for, from uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. When, when HIV came out, that was, the, that was the worst thing in the world to get HIV. HIV, uh, it, it, oh, I'm sorry, to get AIDS. I'm sorry, let's get that back. Let's get that right. 30 years ago, it was AIDS. Oh, my God, you have AIDS. What is AIDS? AIDS is not... It, it, it's not a disease, a disease by the new term. It is not something that is wrong with you. It is a disorder. It's a human immunization deficiency, which means your body cannot fight off whatever it is that's in there that's messing with you. And HIV, as such, does not necessarily, uh, I'm sorry, AIDS, autoimmune deficiency symptoms. I'm sorry, AIDS. Uh, auto Syndrome. Automatic, auto syndrome, auto immunoza, immuno, immuno um, deficiency. deficiency. Yeah, well, you get what I'm saying. AIDS is what we label as HIV, but AIDS can be anything that stopped your immune system from behaving properly. And the HIV, the human, human immunovirus, was the same as the simian immunovirus, which the SIV was in monkeys. HIV is in humans. Humans cannot, you know, that, that virus does not go over to monkeys, and the monkeys does not go over to humans. But they're, for all intents and purposes, identical. That's the actual disease. It's a virus that gets into the cells. But no, people were looking at AIDS. Well, PTSD, post-traumatic stress, we know that's real, disorder, any number of things. P 
PTSD. So maybe, maybe we need to, 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 to change the focus into breaking out what it is in the PTSD instead of just removing the, the final D, post-traumatic stress. But what post-traumatic stress? Was it uh, something you can't unsee? Was it too, was it, uh, uh, too many um, experiences of getting shot at, the fear of death? Uh, maybe, was it uh, having to run into a burning building and knowing full good and well that if you don't succeed, you're going to burn. You're going to be burnt badly. Uh, maybe it's you know a cop wondering whether or not that Kevlar is actually going to stop that round. What is causing that post-traumatic stress? Maybe we need to break that stuff out instead of just lumping it together as post-traumatic stress and thus adding the D disorder. What do you think? Anytime you put anything like disorder or anything like that, uh, then it becomes stigmatism, you know. I don't want to be classified nor quantified as that. I don't want to be known as having a disorder. I don't want to be known as having any type of mental health symptoms, whereas it's just post-traumatic stress, then, yeah, that's a little bit more bearable, I think. Mm -hmm. It's always about labeling. Why do we have to label everything? It really is. Well, no, and, and you're right. I mean, it is. It's just easier for it's. It becomes an easier pill to swallow if we take away the disorder part, you know, and just say it's post-traumatic stress. And why do we have to label everything? Jay, you might be on to something for another show. Why do we have to label everything? Right. Yeah. We, we, well, we seem I to can, enjoy labeling things. I can understand labeling cans because then it's really good to know whether or not you're opening up a can of, of cranberry sauce instead of a can of peaches. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Shut up, Dave. <laughs> oh, that was funny. I'm sorry, I've had a beer and I'm having another one. I mean, I've got to open oh. that thing. There we go. It's open. I'm having a bottle of water. <laughs> that's what I'm having. Hey, that's pre-wine. I, hey, we've got Corey Weathers listening. Is he? Hey, is Corey. He, is Corey on? Let's see. Uh, is, she, is she actually called in? Let's find out here. And see, is there anybody at the door? Hi. Hey. Can, oh, look. Hi, can you hear Somebody's me? Somebody's at the door. Is this Corey? Yes. Yes, oh, hello, Corey, can Corey. you hear me? Hi, how are you, Dave? Good, good, Yay, good. Yay, Corey's here. <laughs> I've been <laughs> listening to the interesting discussion that you guys are having. <laughs> I, okay, so Dave, I reached, I, I messaged Corey on Facebook, and I said, hey, we're talking about PTSD. Corey, as we all know, has a phenomenal background when it comes to mental health and um, yes, and also is our outgoing military spouse of the year. Hello, Corey. And also outgoing army spouse of the year. Yep, That's yep. Right. And so, you know, here we've got now now a brother-sister team of Dave and Corey, army spouses <laughs> unite. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went there. I called you guys brother and sister because it's kind of, you know, true in my in my world. But I thought, hey, Corey could really provide some interesting perspective to us in our discussion on secondary PTSD. So 
I thought, hey, I know we don't have a lot of time, but let's get Corey on. And she or she is. (laughs) So the last part that I was hearing was you guys, you were talking about whether or not um, the D as far as PTSD should be on there, whether or not it's a stigma. Um, I would love to give maybe a different angle on that if that's the direction of the discussion that you'd like to go in or continue to go in. Please. so I think I agree with all different perspectives that you guys are giving. Um, I'd like to just kind of add another angle to look at from a, clinic, from a clinical standpoint. Um, okay. I just almost kind of as devil's advocate here, I actually would be a clinician that would say to leave the D of disorder on PTSD. I mean, I will do whatever the new DSM tells me to do and whether, you know, whatever the insurance companies want me to put on. Uh, my paperwork, but the issue for me is that the disorder, you know, there's also all kinds of other disorders in the DSM, including anxiety disorder. And just because I give somebody the diagnosis of anxiety disorder doesn't mean that they have anxiety disorder for life. And the hope in therapy would be that that person would learn some new skills to overcome their anxiety and that they wouldn't struggle with that as much anymore as a disorder. And I believe that that is true for PTSD as well, that it doesn't have to be something that ruins a specifically a soldier's career. Um, It can be something to me that is a diagnosis to give to somebody when that, uh, when the symptoms from trauma um, interfere with their ability to function on a daily basis. You know, we're not talking about anxiety issues or maybe uh, trauma that isn't as significant that's not going to impair their functioning during the day. But when you have someone that's coming in that it really is impairing their sleep, their ability to work, their ability to have relationships, their ability to move forward throughout the day without the fear of harm or death happening in their mind, it really is a disorder for them. And if we take off the D of PTSD, there are a lot of people out there, including soldiers out there that need a PTSD diagnosis as a disorder in order for them to get the benefits and the help that they need. And so either way, there's going to be pros and cons. There's pros, like you guys are saying, to leaving it as PTS so that it's not stigmatizing. But also if we take that off, you're removing a whole population of people that really do have a disorder or are having symptoms that are making it very difficult for them to function throughout the day that are trusting on a diagnosis in order for them to get the help that they need and get the benefits that they need, even if that's at the risk of removing their clearance or something else that could have a consequence, even if it's short-term in order for them to get better. So just kind well, of a different well, perspective. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have I'm, never thought that, I'm Corey. Somewhat, Thank you. I'm somewhat confused there, Corey, because – I, I recognize what you're saying, and, I'm, and, it, and it kind of lends into what I was talking about with Susan earlier, where she had experienced what, what felt like post-traumatic stress when she lost her house, when she lost uh, uh, everything that was around her. It was, it was life got terrible, 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 oh. terrible for her. And so she was starting to feel... Uh, there was no no end in sight. It was overbearing. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was killer and all. But she was able to overcome it. So I'm I'm getting the feel that if we keep them in with a disorder, 
then we can treat them. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did I hear this this way? That they should that that when somebody walks in that says they have PTSD, that they're they're not afraid of the stigmatism. That it, or I'm sorry, they're not afraid of the the uh, uh, the label of oh look, he's gone crazy. He's got PTSD. He's going to get pushed out. Uh, he walks. A soldier walks in. He or she walks in, and and they need to be considered that they possibly have PTSD at that point, and then get get the help they need and and work at it by keeping the D on the PTSD, but keeping disorder there. That they then uh, they could be like Susan. You then are able to teach them to bounce back. Teach them to be able to cope teach them be able to not have it quite so so uh unbelievable to their psyche and that if they can't they continue to find out they continue on to whatever is necessary did i hear that right and before before you answer that uh somebody's at the door who's this at the door dan hogan man hey dan good to have you buddy hang on thank you Are you there, Corey? Yes, I am. I wasn't sure if you were ready for me to answer. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I think that we're talking about um, a, a spectrum. You know, um, all of us are familiar with a developmental spectrum when we're talking about children with Asperger's or autism, and there's a spectrum that you look at to figure out where are they on the spectrum, and you have, you know, extremes on both sides. And anxiety, I like to think of it in the same way. It's anxiety works off of a spectrum. I think I lost you. Can you hear me? Okay. Anxiety. We we lost you right right after the word anxiety. Okay, but can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, so I like to think of anxiety in the same way as working on a spectrum. So you know, varying people, you're going to have extremes on that spectrum. You know, on one end, you're going to have really low anxiety, what we would call generalized anxiety where there's really no reason to feel anxious or maybe somebody does have a really good reason of something that's happened to them that makes them anxious. Maybe they had a bad work experience as far as an interview goes. And so they're anxious going into interviews or going into the workplace where it's just kind of a low anxiety. And then of course you've got this other extreme where you've got extreme PTSD where I've worked with people who have developed into multiple personalities because of that PTSD and that trauma. And so you've got this, you know, or people that can't even leave their home because of PTSD. And so I think that one of the questions that you guys are asking is not so much whether we should consider it a disorder or not, whether or not the mental health community or the medical community should consider it a disorder. It sounds like one of the questions we're talking about is what does it say about me as a person for me to have disorder on a diagnosis? What does that mean for me and how do I feel about having this diagnosis or this label? And those are two different kinds of questions because from a clinical standpoint, when I'm looking at the spectrum of where is somebody at in their anxiety and their ability to function, that helps me understand how to treat them and whether or not they can get better. You know, but if we're talking about what does that say about me for me to have PTSD, that's an entirely different issue and a different set of questions. And from the medical and the mental health community, there is a list of criteria that helps us decide 
how extreme is this anxiety and whether or not that person might see improvement in their anxiety and, and the symptoms that are impairing their functioning. So in Susan's example, I believe, because I think that one of the topics you guys are talking about is vicarious traumatization. What happens when um, there's secondary um, trauma that happens, um, and that can happen in lots of different ways. It can be kind of we think of like secondhand smoke. You know, when we're talking about secondhand PTSD, we're talking about um, I didn't hear the beginning part of the conversation, but I think of, you know, couples that I work with where a soldier does is struggling with maybe combat trauma, something significant that happened to them in deployment, and them coming home and sharing those gruesome details or their reaction to the symptoms that they're struggling with causes some level of anxiety or trauma in that marriage or in that relationship that interferes with their ability to now connect as a couple. And so because of that first trauma, that affects the secondary person. So there's different levels of can someone find hope and healing? And it's on a spectrum of anxiety. So, you know, I would work with Susan in an entirely different way and have a, a different kind of hope for her than I would have for someone who is coming in who can't even leave their home because, they are in avoidance mode and fearing that someone's going to, a bomb is going to explode outside in their neighborhood because of what they experienced right, right, in right. Afghanistan. So I'm not sure. Dan, if did you have something question. you wanted to ask? We have Dan Hogan called in. He's, uh, no, I'm show. good. I'm just listening in today. I'm, uh, I'm at the shop right now, so I'm going to have my mic on mute. I'm just uh, tuning in with you guys. So if it, you, you let me know inside the chat room if you want to chat talk, I'll put you on mute then. Yes, sir. All right. Okay. Sorry, Corey. We had somebody else that was in the in here, and I just didn't know whether or not he wanted to ask anything. We have like about 14 minutes left. Uh, <clears throat> we filled up this two hours pretty darn good. Susan, it's throw definitely in a fun yes. topic. I'm yeah, here. Susan, I would love to hear your feedback as far as what you're thinking. Um, I I see, and Corey, you and I, when you were here in Fort Bragg uh, back in November, we kind of touched on quite a few topics when we sat and talked, which, oh, my gosh, I really needed that. Thank you. I still think about our fun coffee and how great it was just to sit and talk with you. Um, but I, I I think that you're right. It is a spectrum, and, and like autism spectrum disorder, it is a spectrum on how I, – I, I love what you're saying, Corey. I actually I, – I think that's better than anything that we were it, – it, it, and maybe better isn't the right word, but I think it's providing a great perspective that I don't – we didn't think of. And, um, and, and trauma is very different for every person. And it's like what you've said, Corey. Trauma can be still functioning and getting through the day, but your responses will be different. You know, like, like I was telling Dave after – we lost our house, my husband deployed, you know, bought a house, dealt with this, you know, dealt with all of these other trauma, you know, all of these other stresses going on in, in my life five years ago. My responses changed and how I responded to people. I was very quick to anger. I mean, yes, I was functioning. I was going through my days. I had an eight-month-old baby I had to take care of, and I just thought, you know, this is what you do. You have to get up and function. You have to take care of your your child or children. You have to you have to continue to go through these steps. But oh my goodness, I had 
like I was like I explained to both Dave and and uh, Jay, I had that hair trigger response. I mean, you, uh, it was crazy. I would just, I could fly off the handle so quickly that sometimes so, it really it would freak me out. Like I thought, who so is this person? This is not Susan. Share, <laughs> let me share this perspective because I think this is what you guys are talking about. <laughs> you know. To balance what I'm saying, what I was saying before from a different angle, too, because, I mean, I'm, I'm a lot about big picture here. You know, there's, you know, if we start putting things into boxes and labeling, you're right. People will feel like they're forced in a box. But the bigger perspective is, yes, there is room for those that want to not have a disorder and just say it's anxiety and that I want to get better and that I can get better. And then there's the, these other people that need the benefits and really need desperate help. But I think that when it comes to the marriage relationship, especially for military spouses and the service members, um, and this is a lot of what my book coming out in August called Sacred Spaces is all about, which is we will have these separate experiences, whether it's like maybe during a deployment or a separation or a training, where it's impossible, Susan, I, I would say, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my guess is no, because I've had similar experiences as a military spouse, is that your experience getting through that on your own, um, trying to make these tough decisions, the extent mm-hmm. of grit and resilience that it costs from you in that moment, it may or may not have been traumatizing, but it was definitely significant. And it was significant oh gosh, yeah. in a way that changed your life and your, changed your perspective on the world and relationships around you. And any time that we, and, you know, likewise, our service members have those significant moments, good or bad, during deployment as well. And so my husband and I, after the first deployment, we started calling them sacred spaces because there was this, this thing between us where we couldn't understand what each other had gone through. And it was something so significant that it did trigger us. It triggered this emotional gravitas within each of us that, we needed to label it with something in order to communicate with each other and say, tread lightly, tread very lightly on this area because you have no idea what it took for me to get through that or how it changed or marked me. And so I think from a big picture perspective, um, sometimes it isn't necessarily PTSD. Sometimes it isn't necessary. Sometimes it is. When I had a car accident on the highway with my children during deployment, I could say I had a few symptoms that I could, if I would have entertained it and let it get out of hand, could it have become PTSD? Absolutely. Or at least triggered anxiety. Um, So sometimes it is PTSD, but other times it's these really significant moments that mark us. And from a big picture perspective, it's important for us to remember that life is supposed to be difficult. We are going to have moments in our life that mark us and change us for the good and for the bad. And it doesn't have, some of them don't have to trigger um, anxiety. Some of them, we have the power to decide what are we going to do moving forward now that it's happened? How am I going to choose to connect with my spouse? How am I going to choose to engage in my um, job or in my relationships in a healthy way? And that if we accept that life is difficult, and accept that it's not supposed to be easy, then it helps us embrace those moments all the more and help us personally grow and be stronger because of them, even in the misunderstanding that can happen between us and our spouse. 
Now, we've got about, we're running out of time here. We've got about eight minutes left. Um, Carolyn Loken, uh, who's also one of the branch spouse winners uh, for the AFI uh, Military Spouse Magazine uh, Spouse of the Year that's going on right now. Um, This, she had something that she wanted to point out here. When it comes to... PTSD, whether it be secondary or primary PTSD, one thing that you can do is, is resiliency training. And in the Army, it is done through CSF2, the, the Comprehensive Soldier Family and Fitness Training. And find out if you can get an MRT class. And Army Community Services will do that for you. It's Army. But in the Air Force, is the Armed Forces Military Spouse of the Year for the Air Force right now. Uh, she's got one that she went to that is called MBAT. So Air Force is putting out mindfulness-based attention training. That's something to look into about seeing what you can do there. Jay, what do they have in the Navy? Um, they just do the PTSD over at uh, the the clinics. Uh, there is a Navy Wounded Warrior Program, also known as Safe Harbor, do they do they, they have anything that works towards trying to prevent PTSD to, to become the ball instead of the egg that cracks when it gets thrown against the wall? Uh, as far as I know, no. I haven't really researched into anything of that nature for the Navy, uh, and I don't okay. know often. Yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just that you don't right. have fingers I just don't know of it. Well, we can always put that in later and, and get that onto the uh, Facebook page for Male Military Spouse Radio Show. Uh, we have like about six minutes left. Susan, do you have anything you yes. want to throw in there, Corey? Go ahead. I'm so glad you called in, Corey. I thank you for your perspective. I absolutely, I'm so thankful that you called in. Dave, I'm really glad we did this show today. I'm so hey, glad you, know, you decided really to tackle weird. this topic. I mean, it's a really big topic, and it, the more conversations it, we it have and, that's one of the was, and the sharing of, the of ideas, and yeah. This show is like to give male military spouses resources in which they can actually hear about it and, and, and in the process being able to call in and, and voice their opinions and voice their concerns. And it, once it's a podcast, then it becomes a resource. And so, the, the, we have been we have been for the past year throwing things about as to whether or not we should let women in, because we're a boys' club, boys, boys, boys. We're only ten percent of the military spouse world, and so there's very few of us. But if you look at like the gay community, it's even smaller. And they're doing strides better than we are as male military spouses. So we're throwing in getting all of this stuff going and getting it to work. I'm glad that you ladies can actually come in here and, and, well, take on us macho spouses. I think you guys are good guys, and I think you, uh, I'm looking forward to actually meeting you in person next week, Dave. And I'm sad that Jay won't be there to hang out with well, us because I think it would be fun. Jay's, Jay's close enough we could probably spit across the Potomac and reach him. 
Uh, I'm not. I'm not that close, but uh, I will actually be down in New York at the end of May. I'm not really. Well, we're the first of May. We're like <laughs> next week, dude. Next exactly. Week. So I won't be able to make that. No. I am not certain as to whether or not we'll be able to do a show next week. Uh, it's crazy. We'll it's figure going that to out, Dave. To do because I'm looking morning of 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 Friday, uh, being able to put out a show. Um, uh, I don't know if 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 I can follow Terry's spouse of the year. I have a feeling my my Friday morning is going to be recovery time. Am I right, Corey? About recovery. I think that Friday is going to be a recovery time for you no matter what. <laughs> no matter what. All, I, all of the branch winners from last year, we came home exhausted because it's back-to-back events, and you'll have a yeah, great time, right. and it, you will definitely need some time to recover, that's for sure. <laughs> and Corey no. brought her boys last year and her husband, and her boys were the sweetest. And her, those kids hung, and, I mean, they hung in there. I was so proud of them. And they I, did I, their I, best. I thought, that was tough. They <laughs> They was hard on them, but they did great. I mean, how many little kids want to be in that, those kinds of situations? You know, sit here, eat this, do that, you know, and they, yeah. they, they're kids. They want to run around and play. Well, <laughs> AFI, you know? is willing, AFI is willing to pay my ticket and my wife's ticket from Germany over so that we can participate, but they kind of do the line there. They said, no, your boys, yeah, you can bring them if you want on your own nickel. And it's like, oh, my gosh, uh overseas flights no yeah yeah and that was for all of us we we all had to bring it if we wanted to bring our kids it was kind of something that we had to work out on our own so but you will have a great time with your spouse and it's a great time of networking and enjoying other spouses who are just powerhouses in the community so it's a fantastic um, experience hey jay are you good with not next week or do you want to try and run it yourself no, I'll I'll pass on that. I got other things. I'm I'm in the middle of moving, so my PCS is coming up. So I'm kind of juggling a lot of things right now. So next week, taking next week off is probably a good thing. It would be yes. a good. Okay, very good. Then we'll do that. The next show we'll do will be uh, two weeks from now, and it will probably be. I don't know what we're going to discuss. I I'll figure that out from all of the events that are, are I'm going to be participating in at the Military Spouse of the Year functions in Washington, D.C. next week. Um, joining us. Ooh, and it'll uh, be a Friday the 13th. You can tell ghost stories. Hey, that's it. Uh, thank you, thank you, Corey. <laughs> She's, of course, the, um, the Military Spouse of the Year for 2015. She's the outgoing queen, if you will. Thank you for joining us, Corey. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yes, it was, wasn't it? And, uh, of course, Susan Reynolds, who is one of the powerhouses in the mail. Oh, thanks, in the military It was good to be here world. with you. And I'm looking forward to starting that new uh, additional podcast we're going to be doing. Oh, yep, I am too. Be listening for that, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks with Mail Military Spouse Radio Show number 69. In the meantime, everybody have fun. Thank you for joining us. Old Fart Dave Edders signing out.
The views and opinions expressed on male military spouse radio are not those of the management of MachoSpouse.com or any of their sponsors and shall be deemed just that, opinions and views.